powers that be daily pucks podcast focused on the intersection of wall street washington silicon valley and hollywood and the players who run it all i'm peter hamby it's thursday september 8th and today i talked to julia yaffe about a crisis in u.s foreign policy there aren't enough ambassadors we're almost two years into the biden administration and many key foreign posts remain unfilled julia explains why and what it means And later on, Tina Wynn is here to discuss the financial drama surrounding Truth Social and its parent company, and why Donald Trump's plans to build a social media empire aren't working out like he thought. We'll hear about all that and more in today's episode of The Powers That Be. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting The Gentleman. The new series from Guy Ritchie stars Emmy nominee Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings. Eddie Horniman, played by Theo James, unexpectedly inherits his father's estate, only to discover it's part of a cannabis empire. And Britain's criminal underworld wants a piece of the operation, forcing Eddie to play the gangsters at their own game. Now available only on Netflix. Happy Thursday, everybody. I'm joined today by Julia Yaffe, who's in Europe right now. Um, how is it? Uh, I'm in Rome. It's pretty nice. I got to say the mozzarella here is pretty damn good. So, Julia, I want to talk to you today about a piece uh, you have up on Puck this week um, called Washington's New Crisis of Diplomacy. It is about an underdiscussed, broken, and troubling element of our foreign policy establishment. Uh, And I'm going to start this conversation actually here in Los Angeles, where the current mayor, Eric Garcetti, was nominated by President Biden to become the ambassador to India. Uh, It is now September 7th of 2022. Eric Garcetti is not the ambassador to India. He's been slowed down in his confirmation process based on allegations of sexual impropriety. The Garcetti anecdote you know, speaks to a larger issue, which is 20% of U.S. ambassadorships. Over 20%. Over 20% of U.S. ambassadorships are unfilled for a variety of reasons. What precisely is just slowing this down so much? Because Joe Biden kind of only has like two years left to be president. And that's not a lot of time to get in there and become an ambassador. Right. It started with Trump absolutely gutting the State Department and the Foreign Service. So there wasn't a lot to draw on in terms of career people and experienced personnel. And then because Trump and his people were nominating such comically underqualified people, I mean, some of the people they were nominating had criminal records. Some had lawsuits pending against them. So then the Office of Presidential Personnel, you know, in like classic Democratic fashion, were like, well, then we're going to vet these people extra hard. And so that slowed things down. And then on top of that, Ted Cruz decided he didn't like the Nord Stream 2 project in Germany. And he said, hey, Biden, you have to put the kibosh on this German government project with this uh, gas pipeline with Russia, or I'm going to put a blanket hold on every state nominee. Then Josh Hawley is like, oh, me too. I'm also going to put a fucking blanket hold on all state and defense nominees unless Antony Blinken, the Secretary of State, the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, and National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan resigned over their role in the withdrawal from Afghanistan. And on top of that, because of just how absolutely fucking toxic the Hill is, the confirmation process has become absolutely broken. 
So whereas before you would just get this block of like 50 people, the ambassador to Angola and the ambassador to Latvia and the ambassador to Indonesia, whatever, just all going up as a block and everybody being like, yeah, whatever, wave them through because the president can pick his ambassadors. Now everybody's like, we want to vote on each one of these people independently. And that means three, four hours per person. And there's limited floor time because they're being voted on individually. Now, any member of the Senate can be like, oh, hold up. I can use this as a bargaining chip. And each and every one of these nominations now turns into an elaborate hostage negotiation. There was literally a Republican senator who wouldn't wave through an ambassadorial nominee until the State Department granted a friend of theirs a visa to the United States. Really? Yes. That's the level we're, we're dealing with. And that's like, imagine how long that takes to untie that knot. We're talking over 20% of ambassadorial nominees. This is dozens and dozens of people. And that's not counting assistant secretaries of state and defense nominees. And this is happening for every single nominee. And it's absolutely broken. So I want to ask you how important this is because there are some ambassadorships that feel like nice posts. Then there's ambassadorships that are very consequential. India is probably one of them where Garcetti isn't right now. So when we have more than 20% of these posts unfilled, where is that hurting us when it comes to diplomacy? And and where is it just like, you know, we don't really need someone in um, Peru right now? Where it's hurting us is, again, a lot of of these things are dynamic and, and, and a lot has really changed in the last year. So places, for example, like before Biden could have held Rome open for Nancy Pelosi, if that's in fact what he's doing for a while. And okay, the Italians would be pissed, but what are they going to do? But you can't really hold Rome open now. You really need the Italians. They're a G7 country. They're the only ones who don't have an American ambassador. Winter is coming. There are rumors that Russia had a hand in destroying the coalition government that held the line on EU sanctions against Russia, even though Italy is very dependent on Russian gas, even though there are parts of the Italian political system that are very, very cozy with the Kremlin, and they are set to gain ever more power in these next elections. So, like, we can't be asleep on the wheel at this one. Like, these countries that before seemed like, oh, whatever, like, nothing's going on there, safe bets, we can send, you know, a political donor there. Now, it turns out, these are really important places where you need a pro, because... These are now suddenly very complicated places and we need them to be running game with us. So two logistical questions. One, when a new president comes in, does every ambassador from the previous administration immediately like submit their resignations or is it like a one by one, they get a phone call from the White House or someone, some functionary saying time to go. And then two, who's holding it down? in these embassies when there's no ambassador in place? Because I assume there's got to be someone like the chief of staff type human who just sort of like is always there and kind of manages the transition, even though the like the ambassadors like change and swap out every four to eight years. So the political appointees go with the administration. When the administration leaves, the political appointees leave and the career people can stay on longer through the transition 
but usually they eventually have to swap out. And that's another thing that's about to happen is that a lot of these career people who stayed on from Trump to Biden are also about to rotate out. And there's about to be another spate of vacancies that we don't know how we're going to fill. As for how these are filled, uh, there is a person called the Chargé d'Affaires, who's uh, basically like the number two. And they're like the vice ambassador, but in the world of diplomacy, where things are really highly regulated and very based on protocol, especially in the receiving countries, there are very clear rules on who can receive whom. So like the ambassador can go meet with the president of the host country, but the chargé d'affaires cannot. So that already limits you. So like, yes, you have somebody running your embassy. You have somebody who can put out the fires and like run some of the stuff. But if there's some really important meetings that have to take place, you can't really send somebody. One of the, in my opinion, more galling examples I learned in reporting this is that Zelensky, even while the U.S. is sending billions of dollars in financial and military aid to Ukraine, refused to meet the American Chargé d'Affaires in Kiev until the fully confirmed American ambassador to Kiev arrived in May. And I was like, the balls on that guy. <laughs> you know, to, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. it's like dad's paying your rent and you're like, no, you can't come in here. I mean, Zonsky is <laughs> the biggest balls in the world uh, at this point. So that's not even surprising now. Yeah, that's wild. Um, hey, Julia, before I let you go, I want to ask you really quickly, mm. you lead your piece sure. with some gossip around Washington that Nancy Pelosi wants to be ambassador to Italy. Is that gossip for real? Well, I don't know that it's Nancy that wants to be ambassador. What I've heard is that um, it's the White House that wants to give it to her. The people that I know around Pelosi are very coy about it. And they're like, why would she go take another job that's actually pretty demanding if she could just hang out in Napa with her grandkids and enjoy her life, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, right, I believe you, except that also sounds like exactly the kind of thing you would say before taking this job. Well, uh, running out of time, the Biden administration wants to do that. It is a pretty good exit strategy, though, right? The gossip right now on the political side is that is that she'll she'll retire after this cycle. That might be fun for a few years, but it could just be if it happens <laughs> a few months, and if she's lucky, four years in a few months. Julia, thank you so much for shining a light on all this. I've been watching it from afar based on the Garcetti stuff here in LA, but it's fascinating nonetheless. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Good to talk to you, Peter. When we come back, Ben Landy is here with Tina Wynn to tell us why investors are selling off shares. Truth Social. This podcast is proudly supported by Netflix, presenting the new series, The Gentleman. Theo James, Kaya Scodelario, and Daniel Ings star in what the playlist calls an entertaining crime comedy filled with style, panache, and laughs. The Evening Standard raves, The Gentleman is peak Guy Ritchie, impossible not to love. Now available only on Netflix. 
Hey guys, it's Peter. When I'm not recording the pod, let's be honest, I'm probably snacking, I get hungry. But when I can steal some moments during the day, I do like to eat healthy. And eating better is easy with Factors, delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. And this is big, no cooking required. I recommend the smoothies. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. These are two-minute meals. Fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are are pancakes i love pancakes more than waffles more than french toast a couple of my favorites so far the red chili chicken tamale bowl and the smoky bacon and cheddar egg bites i love egg bites discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day like breakfast midday bites and more no prep no mess meals factor meals are ready to heat and eat so there's no prepping cooking or cleanup needed so sign up and save. Head to factormeals.com slash powers that be 50 and use code powers that be 50 to get 50% off. That's code powers that be 50 at factormeals.com slash powers that be 50 to get 50% off. Hello, welcome back to the powers that be. I'm Ben Landy. And joining me here in the studio is our very own Tina Wynn. Hey, Tina. Hey ben. So I wanted to bring you on today to talk about Truth Social, Donald Trump's mega-friendly Twitter knockoff, and more specifically, the ominously named Digital World Acquisition Corp, which is the SPAC blank check company that was supposed to merge with and take public Trump Media and Technology Group, which is the Truth Social parent company, for billions of dollars, potentially. Uh, predictably, none of that has worked out the way that we thought it would, or at least that Trump thought it would. What is the latest that is going on with this merger? Oh, boy. So the company that is supposed to give Trump a whole lot of cash cannot give Trump the cash he needs to grow the company because the shareholders of the public company forgot to extend the date that the merger could be completed. So basically, Trump company was supposed to be merged with this publicly traded company. Once that happened, Trump would get access to hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in cash to grow TMTG. The thing is, the merger hasn't happened because there's an SEC investigation into whether it was appropriate or not. And in the meantime, they had one year to complete the deal. Right. So they can't get this deal done while there are these ongoing investigations. They need an extension but they can't get any of the Trump super fans to actually pay attention or check their email or care enough to actually vote. Like the requests for uh, their participation is either going to the spam folder or they're not paying attention. And as a result, it looks like this company is going to liquidate. Liquidate, yeah. Meaning they have to give investors their money back. Not like as it was trading, it was like $10 plus interest, which was what they were initially trading at during its first uh, IPO. It really goes to show how much things have changed in the last year or so, because Trump Media Technology Group was founded just a few days or weeks after January 6th. And at the time, it suggested the possibility, at least, that Trump in his post-presidency was going to focus on his media business ambitions. People who are listening will recall that there was a slide deck that went out that was extremely ambitious that said that 
Trump media was going to be this omni-channel, full-stack media company that was going to take on Netflix and Disney and Twitter and Facebook and everything else. And it was all sort of preposterous. But then when DWAC came along in October 2021 with this merger agreement with Trump media, this was at like the very height of the SPAC craze. The stock market was going crazy. SPACs were, were exploding in value. Uh, ape NFTs were going to the moon. And so even though it all seemed kind of silly, there was at least the hint of a possibility that like maybe Trump could pull this thing off, have enough money to start a genuine technology company that would have a social media product. But you've been talking to insiders in this world for a while, both in Trump's inner circle and also rival MAGA-friendly social media entrepreneurs. And they've been telling you for a while, it sounds like, that it's not a surprise that all of this came crashing down. I was talking to the founder of Parler, who left the company over disputes about content moderation. But he was like, yeah, it kind of shows you that the average Trump in- meme investor is not as well organized as Wall Street bets is. And I was like, oh my God, that makes a lot of sense. Because the meme stock craze surrounding GameStop and AMC were all driven by people who were part of this community on the internet called Wall Street bets. And they were extremely disciplined and they knew when to invest and when to hold their money and when to sell and when not to sell. And they were all coordinating this openly, but inside a online community. Trump fans, on the other hand, are just like, here's my money. Just take it. Go own the libs. And that's not really an investing strategy. Yeah, it's an interesting comparison. And it kind of shows what could have been if the investors in DWAC and Trump media had been a little bit more organized a little bit more thoughtful about their investment in this company. But final thought, I'm curious what Trump has been saying about all this drama. And also, do you think that the potential implosion of DWAC just deepens Trump's commitment to running for presidency instead of becoming a media entrepreneur instead? I was on his Truth Social page recently. He's, li- he's literally the only reason anyone goes to Truth Social, honestly. But he has been running around saying that the company is doing well financially, which does not seem to be the case because um, behind the scenes, Fox Business was reporting recently that True Social has stiffed a right-wing web hosting server, RightForge, for like a $1.6 million contract. If they're not able to pay their vendors that little money, it doesn't really say much about their ability to survive past year four or five. And honestly, running for president at this point looks pretty good right now compared to being a you know failed tech entrepreneur. Isn't there an entire genre of tech entrepreneurs who just keep like launching and failing companies and then going, no, that's made me stronger. I'm just going to keep trying again, or I'm going to move on to the next thing. In this case, Donald Trump's hustle culture move is I'm going to run for president instead. Well, to be fair, there are a few business people out there who have failed more times than Donald Trump and managed to keep going. So um, a beacon for all of us who are uh, aspiring entrepreneurs. Right. We'll see what happens with the extension vote. As always, this is not investment advice. So please don't email either of us. Tina, thanks for stopping by. Thank you. Yeah, please don't email me. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. 
This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13. 